done. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will jump into God's word this morning. Um, God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy that you extend to us that even as we as sinners come with guilty hands and filthy rags, uh, that's all that we can bring, that that you have sent your son to give his life for ours. And so that the blood that he shed on the cross has been given to us. And that we can now stand before your throne as he has taken our sin and given us his righteousness and his obedience. We can stand before your throne raising holy hands, praising you for your redemptive work. And so this morning we come together to rejoice in that truth, the hope that we have in the gospel. God, this morning we also want to pray for the Hobbs families of Steve and Sarah Ann and Ruth. We pray that your spirit would come into their lives to comfort them with your word, that there would be opportunity for ministry into Sarah Ann's life, into Steve and Ruth's life, into the doctors and the nurses and everyone who comes in contact. I pray that that even in this horrifying situation, that you would be glorified. So, Father, this morning we come before you trusting in your care and your providence, and we pray that you would be faithful to your promises provide as we need so that we have everything that we can have that is necessary to praise you. And so we trust in you this morning, our God and our Savior. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so I've been doing a little bit of thinking um, in the book of Second Timothy. I'm going to open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I know that Steve preached through this fairly recently, but I think it's good to be reminded. Uh, because if you're like me, then honestly, you kind of forget what Steve preached on. Um, and so it's good to be reminded, even if it's in a passage that has been studied within the past maybe, I don't know, six months. I don't know how long it's been in Hebrews for. And so this morning, I just want to to share God's word from something that, again, that I've been thinking about uh, from Second Timothy chapter four. Uh, but I want to give a little bit of context. So I'm going to read a bigger portion than we're going to look at. I'm going to start with Second Timothy three, and we'll, we'll we'll start at verse ten. Second Timothy three ten says, "You, however, talking Paul talking to Timothy." You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, 
deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me in the, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous ju- judge, will reward to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Um, the text we're going to look at, we're going to start with, with verse 1 this morning, and kind of work our way through, we'll see how far we get. I'd love to get through the end of verse 5, but we'll see how long time allows. Um, Verse 1, let's kind of walk through and kind of give some observations and hopefully help come to a better understanding of this passage um, and a better better understanding of Christ this morning. Um, So the passage starts out with Paul charging Timothy. Now a charge is similar to a command. So here we have Paul who is commanding Timothy to do something. Um, if you remember back to when Steve worked through 2 Timothy, that, that the book of 2 Timothy is written to a man named Timothy. Tim, it's Paul writing to Timothy, who was the pastor. Uh, but the book isn't just for pastors. The pastors are called to be an example for the people so that the people can actually examples of Jesus Christ. And so the book is not only written to such pastors, it's also written to every believer. And so this morning, Paul is charging not just Timothy, but he's charging us as well. He's commanding us to do something. He's setting forth God's standard for Christian living. Now before we get lost, which is easy to do. Before we get lost in the law, the command of what is about to come, the preach the word, um, be ready in season and out of season, um, don't turn away from the truth. Before we get to these imperatives, these commands that we're going to look at, I want to remind us that the commands or the charge or the standard of God's law is grounded and rooted in God himself. That there is what we call an indicative. There is something that stands before that grounds these commands. 
And so we have to ask ourselves, what is the command? Or what is the, the grounds for the command? Um, if you look at the larger context of, verse, of 2 Timothy, I think one thing, I'm going to read a few verses. Um, 2 Timothy 1, 3 through 6 will help us understand what is grounding this command. In um, verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a pure conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. As well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gives us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. In this text, we find that there's something bigger going on here. That Paul has shared the gospel with Timothy. And Timothy has grown to love and appreciate the gospel. And here Paul encourages him to fan into flame that very gift of God. And so that indicates that there is that the the reason for this command is that Timothy is united with Christ. That the gospel is the reason for this indicative. Um, this pops up a few other places throughout the book of Timothy. Um, we're going to move on, and we're going to jump into the passage itself, because I think the next phrase will really help us. Um, so Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. This, this little phrase describing who Jesus Christ is says, in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, and now he gives a little brief descriptor of who Christ is. says that he will judge the living and the dead. And why is that? In a, in a few moments, we're going to look at the command to preach the gospel. But before we get to preach the gospel, it's important for us to understand and remember Christ is meaning that God will take care of justice so that as you live out your Christian life there is a freedom that you can feel because as Paul says elsewhere God through Paul says revenge is mine I will repay says the Lord the God is the he will take care of any injustice that's done to you. Look at Paul's life. Paul was treated unjustly numerous times. That's what got him actually sent to Rome and imprisoned for years and years. But he knew that Jesus Christ was the judge who was going to judge the living and the dead. And so that even as we suffer persecution, as we endure suffering, that we can know that May not be now, not probably not going to be now, but in the future, God will make this right. And we can trust in God's providence and his care because we are satisfied not in our own not in our own.
see God being judged and God because as we talked about this morning that we are a guilty but even as we remember and feel the guilt drive us not to ourselves to work but to drive us to the cross to drive us to the gospel to find our hope in Jesus Christ and what he has done motive for Paul's command. And that Jesus Christ is the goal. It doesn't matter what's going to happen to you. Be in love with him. Appreciate, know, understand his pain. And he will take care of the rest. Once again, this gives us a confidence and a freedom to live Paul charges Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, based upon Jesus Christ being the judge, living in the He also charges Timothy about Christ's appearing and his kingdom. And what does that mean? Um, I think what Paul is driving at is he wants us to remember two things. He wants us to remember that Jesus Christ came. to start the kingdom as we see in Matthew 28 that all power has been given to him and it, it starts his kingdom here on earth. Yet at the same time, we don't see that kingdom completely fulfilled and consummated and um, Christ is not and his ruling is not in its full bloom. And so he wants to, Paul wants us to also think about and look forward to and long for Christ's coming, to Christ's future and once again, what we see in both the, re- the remembering of this is we see God's promises. The promises that he made and fulfilled in Jesus Christ's first coming, and the promises that he made and will fulfill in the second coming. And once again, his promises give us a confidence and a freedom that we don't need to worry about why? Because we are called to We're not called to take revenge. We're not called to stand for our freedom and fight to the death for our glory. Because God has already promised to give us everything. So I want to this indicative this morning as we begin to look at the imperatives remember that God, that one Christ is the perfect judge and he will take care of us and our confidence is in God and his promises so Christ the perfect judge has come and will come and that's where our confidence is our confidence is not in our safety So with this in mind, what are the actual commands that Paul 
charges Timothy with and that Paul charges us with. He says in verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So the first one is preach the word, which requires us to know God's word. How can we preach something if we don't know God's word? How we, we proclaim what we know. Pretty simple concept. I I don't know much about cars. So I don't proclaim much about cars. I don't I but if you ask me about maybe well, we can talk about that. Because I know about that. I, I read about that. I, I look at recipes. I do it. And so if you talk to Charles, well, yeah, that's tough. Because why? Because I, I know it. Or if you talk to Charles, you talk about cars because he teaches you make cars. And we all know that that's true, that we, we talk about the things we love and the things we know. Um, and so it calls in us to question as we are encouraged and exhorted to preach the word, to ask ourselves, do, do we really know God's word? Do I, do I spend time studying God's word? What does my, what does my life say? You know, I, I think of, of the Puritans. They would spend so much of their time Remember some stories of spend all their time they're traveling around the different places in the area. And what would they be doing on the verses says that scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. But do we really believe that God's word is powerful enough to equip us for every good work? Do we really care enough about God's word to study it? Do we care enough about Christ and his redemption to, to study, to know him? Do we really care? Our lives are waiting And I also think of the, the pearl of great price in the story in, in the Gospels. How a man found this pearl that was invaluable. And he gave up everything for that pearl. He didn't just give up a portion. You know, one third of my year's income is going to go towards this. He sold everything. He sold everything because he found the pearl worth. Do we treat God, do we treat Christ, do we treat his word like that man treated that pearl? As if we don't read God's word, that 
that our life is going to wither away because we just want to fellowship in the truth of what God has done. So do we search God's word? Yes. But do we know God's word? Then that's a huge question. The next thing that Paul calls Timothy to do and that after preach the word is to be ready in season and out of season. Ready for what? Ready for ministry. Ready to proclaim the truth of God's word. Not just to other people. Yes, to other people, but we also need to remember that we need to preach the truth ourselves. That I need to hear the truth preached for myself. Otherwise, what I'm get, what's going to happen? Is I'm going to preach other things. I'm going to preach what I hear on the TV shows. I'm going to hear what I preach to myself, what I hear from my coworkers, what I hear from the songs on the radio. I'm going to preach what I'm feeling. And my life's going to be driven by all these other things. Rather than And of course, if I'm driven by these other things, I'm going to preach these other things, and then Christ is meaningless and worthless, and well, no, Christ is dead. Remember that we're guilty and drive us back to the cross to repent. Trust us in that in him we are justified. Meaning that our sins are taken away and, and forgiven and are no longer punished. So be ready. What's another word to be ready? An anticipation. Prepare. Do we prepare to preach God's word? Do we prepare to minister? And one one application of this could be prayer. Am I praying for people? As I was thinking about this this morning, I was reminded uh, Laura and I were on a retreat the other week, and there was a missionary who was from, or or he's a missionary in Indonesia, and Indonesia is a Muslim country. And they were told, him and his family were told to always have a suitcase ready to go, prepared, so that they never need to leave. Within 10 minutes, the whole family will be gone. Because that's what the country is doing. Well, after a year or two, you know, the suitcase has been packed. Um, and then he eventually got a call and he needed to leave. And then his wife was going to pack the suitcase and then he made out. But anyway, that's what it looks like. To be prepared is to always have something ready to go because you're always meditating on the truth. You're no, you're just dwelling in God's word. You're seeking the Lord. You're wrestling with truth. You're preparing yourself for ministry so that whether it's in season or out of season, that you're ready to go. You have that suitcase ready to go, ready to get out. The suitcase ready to go to be able to jump into someone's life if they're struggling with something. Struggling with a family situation, struggling with getting their car out of the house. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Then Paul goes on. Painful and should be painful for you. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. These ought to be painful terms because when was the last time that you had to reprove 
rebuke or exhort someone. When was the last time that you should have and you didn't? Oftentimes, in our American in my life, preach the word and we're not ready because we're not ready to face the consequences. Which brings us back to the very first thing we talked about is we're not ready to face the consequences because we don't recognize that Jesus Christ is better in control. We can rest in his power. But here Paul calls us to this painful but necessary communication to which Christ is most important. Oftentimes we don't speak God's truth painfully. Because I, th- I think we don't recognize that suffering is common. You know, if you jump back to um, verse 12 of chapter 3, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, if you want to live for Christ, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a believer, then persecution is something that should necessarily happen. It would be interesting that a few verses later he gets to these things that often cause persecution. But if you look at Paul's life, that he would go into a city, he would preach, and as he would get response back, he would reprove, he would rebuke, he would exhort. And what often happens? He gets stoned, he's thrown into prison, um, he's, numer- he's beaten, like numerous things happen. Why? Because he reproved, rebuked, and exhorted. You see, our, our problem is not that we don't do this. I mean, it is our problem. But the bigger problem is what is behind this is that we find everything more important to us. That I find my comfort more important than preaching the truth to someone in love because they need to hear it, because they need to grow in Christ, because they need to know Christ more. I find my own comfort and my relationship more important than that. And so, in effect, what I do is I condemn that person and my lack of teaching and preaching. Because we all forget, we all need to be reminded of it. I need to be reproved, I need to be rebuked, and I need to be exhorted. Because I forget the truth. And part of being the church is communicating that to each other. Communicating the truth, reminding each other. So we need to remember Jesus Christ, who is judge, who established his kingdom, and who will come to consummate his kingdom. Um, Paul continues, says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Then he continues with, the way that we're supposed to do this. Um, it is with complete patience and teaching. This means that the way that we're supposed to repu- reprove and re- rebuke and exhort is with complete patience and teaching. And we could kind of 
coming up with to share the, speak the truth in love, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 15. Speak the truth in love. But I think we often get that confused. Because the goal of speaking the truth is for others to know Christ. And often what we do is we love, but not necessarily the truth, because our goal is love as opposed to people knowing truth. And oftentimes we reverse that and say, well, I can make my goal to love people. Why do you possess that to me? Because I'm not going to be thrown in prison. I'm not going to be kicked out of my job. with patience, yes. And teaching, absolutely. We need to help people grow in their knowledge of Christ. But these are tools to help people come to a better understanding of who Jesus Christ is as our judge, as our king, and as our savior. So we are to speak, prove, rebuke, and exhort Guided by the truth. Because, you know, sometimes love is hard. There's a time in the book of Acts where Peter isn't living for Christ. You know, Paul needed to metaphorically punch him in the face with his words to get Peter to, to repent and to recognize that he had his priorities all wrong. He was prioritizing, his once again, his comfort because he was eating with one group of people when some people weren't around, and then when they were around, he was eating with other people. And in fact, he couldn't do that. And forgetting who Jesus Christ is and forgetting the gospel. It reminds me of the, of the movie The Incredibles. In the very beginning, that there's this guy who's trying to jump off the top of a building and makes an incredible run, and he jumps, and he saves this guy. But at, in the process of saving him, he breaks his neck. And so this person says, I don't want to be saved, so I'm suing the superhero. And he shuts down the superheroes. Why? Because love is tough sometimes. Sometimes we're going to get rejected. Sometimes there's going to be suffering. There's going to be persecution. But is Jesus Christ worth it? Our goal. That Jesus Christ is dead and we want people to know him. Speak the truth in love with patience, with teaching. Paul begins verse 3. And in verse 3 and 4, he changes. So we're just talking about believers, people who are in love with Christ. Exhorting them, comforting them, rebuking them, and reproving them and us to to follow him more faithfully. And then he moves on to a different group of people. He says, for the time is coming, and I would say that time is now, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And Paul lays out a contrast here. Rather than people who are 
preaching the word, people who are consumed with God's word, consumed with knowing Christ. These people are, there are times coming when they'll ignore the truth. Say, yeah, that's good for you, but here's my truth. And they'll turn away, as it says in verse 4, turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Things that are, are not true. First off, he says that they will not endure sound teaching, which means that if you are preaching the truth of God, that people won't endure, which means that they're going to reject you. They're going to persecute you. Reminds me of Jeremiah, who, once again, who was preaching God's word faithfully. What happened to him? He was thrown into shocks one day because they didn't like it. He was calling God's people back to him, back to his word. After he got out of that, years, I don't know how long later, he was thrown into a, a muddy cistern where the mud was up and, and trapped and he couldn't do anything. He was stuck in this muddy pit. Why? Because he had a fire in his bones that couldn't be quenched. Because he was consumed with the gospel. He was consumed with his people loving God's word and coming back and rejoicing in the truth. But these people didn't endure sound teaching. Instead, what they had was itchy ears. They're like a dog that you start scratching its ear and it keeps moving closer because well, you're, you're satisfying its desire and it feels comfortable. And That's what it's like. As opposed to a C.S. Lewis story when a little boy named Eustace falls asleep in a dragon's den and turns into a dragon because in the story he acts like a dragon, selfish and proud. And preaching the truth looks like the only way to escape from the, the dragon's den for him was for Aslan, the, the Christ figure, who's a lion, to rip the skin off of his flesh. story and eventually Eustace becomes the best master of his place. Why? Because the truth had to hold fast. And that's what preaching the truth, that's what truth or beauty of his word like to preach in the world. But these people who we're talking about now don't want to hear that, so instead they're like a dog who you start scratching its ear and keeps going because that's what it likes. They follow their their urges and their desires, and they want them to be appeased, as opposed to coming into the contact with the truth, which is a change of mind. And so what they do is they have some ears, and their response is that they gather or accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They want people to tell them what they want to hear. You know, I find this challenging because this can come from a secular organization. But I can find a preacher who tells me what I want to hear. And you know, that, that could be a good thing. For instance, John Piper. You start listening to John Piper. You take everything he says. What, what do you do? You start to teach. You don't think about it anymore. You start following every single word he says, and suddenly 
John Piper becomes scripture breathed out by God. No, breathed out by John Piper and is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training righteousness, which goes completely against what I'm sure that he would say and what God's word says. Is that we find our hope in, in, in a man who says something that may not be good, but suddenly, Scripture no longer becomes a firm foundation. Our foundation becomes John Piper, or another pastor here, or maybe our firm foundation is a TV show or a book series. And suddenly, we, we like these things because they tell us what we want to hear, not necessarily what we need to hear. And so what we do is we, sometimes without knowing it, we turn from the truth and wander off into to myth. Things that are, are not true. I mean, we think of unicorns or centaurs or thi- mythical creatures that we, we know are not true. And yet, at the same time, what we do is we turn away from listening to the truth of God's word and we wander off into these, these myths, these things that aren't true. Because we have not been grounded in the truth of God's word. And so as Paul describes these people, he continues in this text. And he jumps back to Timothy and says, As for you, and this morning I say, as for you and as for myself, always be sober-minded. Always be sober-minded. What does that mean? Well, I don't necessarily think in this context that means sober-minded meaning don't drink alcohol and be drunk. I think what Paul is driving towards in this context is don't be drunk with myth. Don't be drunk with non-truth that you think will guide you and satisfy you. Repent from following these things and turn back to God's word alone, for God's word is where we find satisfaction, for God's word is breathed out by God. It's inspired, it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's profitable for equipping us, making us complete. Spend your time studying God's word, drinking God's word, being, we'll say, drunk with God's word as opposed to being drunk with So always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, because if you drink of God's word, it's going to overflow. You're going to speak the truth. You're going to preach the word. You're going to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And people who have itching ears don't want to hear that. And they will reject you and, and persecute you. So endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Proclaim the gospel. To conclude it all, Paul says, fulfill your ministry. He says, do all the above things. Do all of them. For God's glory. We must come back. Why should we do all of these things? Why? Because of verse 1, that God is worthy. Jesus Christ is the judge. He is also, as we've been looking at in Hebrews, he's our great high priest. So even as we come into confrontation, scripture confront us this morning and 
we hear the call to wake up from our drunken stupor, Paul says in Corinthians, that we can repent to Jesus Christ, who is the judge, yes, but also was the one who took on our sins, who justified us before God. And see, that is where our hope is. And that is what should drive us to these charges that we looked at this morning. And so I just want to encourage us as we close. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember our Savior. Remember the judge of the living and the dead. Remember his appearing for our sins. Remember his resurrection to give us life. And remember that one day he will come. And I pray that this be our motivation for preaching the word, for being consumed with Christ and living for him. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word, for your challenge as we don't speak the truth as we ought to, because we're not consumed with Jesus Christ as much as we ought to be. And so as our lives have reflected a, a lack of obedience, we come and repent, trusting this morning, not in our repentance, but in Jesus Christ alone. And so I pray that even as we have guilty hands, that we would cling to the cross of Christ and that his blood would purify us and make us holy in your sight. And so we rejoice in your redemption this morning and in your son's name we pray.